1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. Now, these are well-known words, I would say. It's okay if it's the first time you're hearing them, but to many they would be something that we would memorize, or if you were going to memorize a Bible verse, this would be it. It's 25 words, this verse, and uh, if you can remember anything tonight, really, I, I would ask you just to remember this verse. 1 Timothy 1 and 15, this is what it says. This is a faithful saying, and it's worthy of everyone's acceptance. It's a faithful saying. It's a true saying. And it's worthy of all acceptation. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Or of of whom I am foremost. We'll just read those words one more time. This is a faithful saying. And it's worthy of everyone's acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Whom I am chief. These are the words that the Apostle Paul, if you know of him, he spoke these words. He's one of our great white writers in the New Testament here. And he spoke these words. And these words are just words I'd like to comment on for the next 20 minutes or so uh, in my time allotment of the meeting. I go to these words tonight. 25 words in this section. And I like things that are succinct. I like things that, that bring a, a massive amount of information just in it. It hones it in right there, right, to those 25 words. Um, I unfortunately have had the task sometimes to visit people, uh, you know, they're, they're dying or they're, they're not going to make it. I had a co-worker and I had to go down to Lyons, New Jersey once to visit him in the VA hospital. And uh, his eyes were open, he couldn't talk to me, and, and you're struggling to make eye contact with him. And, and I talked with him, we worked together for seven or eight years, and you say, what do you tell a man who's dying? I told him these 25 words. Tell me, was I wrong? Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Sometimes where I live, I live in this town of Wyckoff, New Jersey. Sometimes I have people that come and visit my house. I think I must have a sign out front that says, interested in your religion. Um, and they come up to my door. And sometimes I actually am going out. I'm going out to the end of the driveway. I like to meet them halfway to show grace. And uh, I say to them, sometimes... There's different ways to approach different groups, you know, and I, I'm always looking to be enduring. I, you don't want to fight, right? Uh, I'm not here to win arguments. I'm here to win people to Christ. And sometimes they come up to me and I say, before you tell me what you have to say, I said, can you sum it up in under 25 words? One guy looks at the other guy. They open their attache case. No. I said, well, I can this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. At another time, I was individuals once again coming to my house and I took them a little off guard. I went up to them and I said to them, I said, you guys don't look good. You don't look good. You look like you're a bad couple of guys. Are you good? And they said, sir, we want to assure you we are good people. I say that's so unfortunate because the greatest words in the Bible tell me this, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save bad people. I said, I'd have great news for you if only you were bad. The verse comes in and it's stark and it's sincere. Because even remember this, the sincerity of Calvary is this, that at Calvary, the people who crucified Christ, remember they said this, He saved others. And the men who said that didn't want Christ. You're sitting next to people who are going to heaven tonight. I guarantee you that. You say no one knows that for sure. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. What are guaranteed do you want? 
Heaven's filled with sinners. There's only one good person. It only had room for one good man. And that was Christ. I assure you, He has saved others. The question tonight, and the Bible comes and uses that language of being saved. And I know some people don't like certain Bible terminology. What's great is that the words I read to you tonight were written 400 years ago in our English language. They were written 2,000 years ago in the original, but they're so simple. Who could I not say that to tonight and use that word saved? And I, I've, I've been to places and I've stood under crucifixes. I've talked to people who have worn crucifixes and I've said to them, Are Are you saved? From what? From what? I've asked them, are you going to heaven? And they say, I'm not sure. I don't know. You know, when you use that word saved, uh, just think about it in our everyday vernacular. Uh, You think about when someone gets a transplant. I had a good friend, and it was just... It was just a little while ago, I had to go to her funeral, and she had a lung transplant. And you know, when I went to the funeral, you know, you know what her parents said to me? They said, she got the lung transplant, and, and it was going so well, and the doctors had performed it, and everything had to come into place for this to go well, but they couldn't save her. There was no if or and if she was saved or not. It was absolutely known, because there she was in a casket. You know, her same parents could tell me, without any shadow of a doubt, that she was in heaven. You say, how did they know that? Because she knew that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. The word saved is not an ambiguous term. When someone gets saved, they don't wonder about it in life. If a fireman comes into your house somehow and rescues you from a fire, you don't wonder, was I saved? It was in Panama City, Florida yesterday. They made a hundred-person ring, as it were, locking arms with one another to rescue a 73-year-old woman with with three uh, others there. And you say, they didn't wonder if they were saved. You know these things. It's a word that that, that begs you to say, am I saved or am I not saved? And, And it comes down, it's so clear, and it says this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And, and, and it, it tells me this. It's not about a feeling. A lot of people I talk to, and I, I ask them just about religious things. I ask them about this Bible. I'm, I'm holding the same Bible that you hold, or holding. I'm holding the same Bible that you grew up reading. I'm holding the same Bible that's probably somewhere in your house. It is no different than yours. And if you ask me, tell me in this Bible where it tells me to do something to get to heaven. No, it only tells me about something that was done at Calvary. You say, show me somewhere where it tells me to, 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 to give something to get to heaven. No, it tells me that I can be forgiven from my sins. You say, show me somewhere where it says, earn this salvation. It tells me never to work. It tells me to rest. And the Bible comes across so clearly, and it says this, if this, if this is true, I just ask people, I might ask you at the back of the tent, I was talking to a guy the other night, I said, listen, this is the only thing I bring. I'm, I'm never going to speak from, from any church ordinances, I'm not going to speak from any catechisms, I'm not going to bring up documents, whoever they were written by, I'm going to speak from you from words that are straight out of God's mouth. And ask you, do you believe them? It tells me that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. If that's true, how come so many people are trying to offer God good? 
how come so many people, how come everywhere I go, and how come everybody I meet, and you say, it, 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 it comes down and you say, I just, I, I, if I could just offer, if I could just accumulate, if I could just present a little more, if I could just, it's a summation of this life's good. I was an individual, I was talking to him the other night, and I said, who gets to go to heaven? He said, Dave, he says, good people. And then he, he added a line, he goes, but you know what? He goes, there was a good Samaritan club in my high school. They only did it for the extra points. Those aren't good people, right? I said, yeah, that's true, that's true, you know. He says, only good people get to heaven. So I opened in my Bible to Romans 3, and I said, read this verse here, in Romans 3. And I could still hear him reading it. He looked at it, he said, there is none good, no, not one. I said, how come no one believes that? said because that would make a lot of people mad and it does you say you say what happened to this standard thing what what happened to this idea of of, of me getting over as it were get, me me passing the standard and and i i know that that heaven seems to be a scale sometimes and and if i could just balance the good more more than the bad if i could weigh it down that and i i'm guaranteed it and you say, there's, there's got to be a standard. Dave, there has to be a standard that God would give. God did give a standard. I don't like to mention it because sometimes it, it can, you know, things become like actually more, it, it can provoke you or get you more down. He said, you've, you've heard that, that if, if you're to look at another person with lust, that's wrong. Okay, we'd all say, amen, uh, guarantee, that's wrong. That, 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 that's God takes a standard and he says, well, who has, who has kept that? He, he said, he said we, we say killing someone is wrong. And we'd say, oh, of course that's wrong. Of course, there's, there's no one in the tent who has taken someone else's life. And then he says, uh, if you've hated someone else, he goes, it's the same thing as killing people. We'd say stealing is wrong. Everyone agrees with that. If you've ever been robbed, it's one of the worst feelings in life. And then the Lord Jesus says, if you've envied what someone else has, it's the same as stealing. You say, Dave, that's not fair. That's not fair because what, what, what he did is he took the standard and he put it so high in the sky that no one on God's green earth could ever get over that standard. Amen. Amen. You want to know why? I, I was a high jumper in high school. That may surprise you. And, and, and you know what? We went to the big Bergen County League meets. Uh, they, they were intimidating, one, because I could barely fill out my outfit in the track team, right? You know, and you'd say, you got to those league meets, and the, the high jump bar was set around, right around maybe 5'4", as opening height, and, and as a, a supreme 5'11 and 3 quarters, I had no chance of clearing 5'4", but my coach, he was one of those guys, and he would say, give me your best shot, get a participation award. <laughs> you know why they set the bar at 5'4"? They wanted to get rid of the duds like me. They just wanted the best to compete. They just wanted whoever the best was, they wanted them. Anybody who didn't have a hope, everyone who was doing the 4-8 and the 5-foot, get them out of here. Just give us the best. You know why God sets the standard higher than the eye can see? Because He just wants sinners. He doesn't want righteous people. The Lord Jesus Christ said Himself, I came not to call the right, I came to call the wrong. The Lord Jesus Christ said that. And so when I come to my Bible... When I come to this as standard, I, I look at those words. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. 
and, and I might just maybe, sometimes we don't get questions from the audience, but I would ask the question on your behalf. The first question that Satan says to Eve in the Garden of Eden is a classic question. And I hope it would be your question tonight. As I read to you those words that Paul said, you might ask the same question that Satan asked. And you would say, did God really say that? Did God really say that? Because Dave, you said, Paul said it. Paul said it. Did God really say that? The Lord Jesus Christ, if you went in your Bibles to John 10, He says this. He says, I came, I came into the world that they might have life. You know what that means is that we were all born dead. He says, I came that they might have life. The Lord Jesus Christ on another opportunity there in Luke 19, He says this. He says, the Son of Man. He says, I have come into the world to seek and to save them that are lost. That are lost. You know, in the Bible, when the Lord Jesus, He talks about people and He says, the shepherd, He uses this illustration that the shepherd goes out and looks for for lost sheep. And he, He compares us in this world as those that are lost. And sometimes if you're looking through your Bible for a promise or something that you can lay hold of, this is the promise that the Lord Jesus gives us. He says, the shepherd never stops looking for the sheep until he finds them. Never stops looking. If you lost your kid in a shopping mall, when would you stop looking for her? If you lost your son or daughter, some of you have children, some of you have grandchildren, tell me, when do you stop looking? You say you don't. You don't. You don't. You never stop. The Lord Jesus Christ says that He looks until He finds the lost. He looks until he finds the lost. That, 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 that presupposes, it doesn't matter how many days, doesn't matter how many years, doesn't matter how many places you go, how far you go, it doesn't matter, nothing matters. It says he looks until he finds the lost. Then I ask you this, how do some people not up in, end up in heaven? How are there people who would leave the tent tonight and you wouldn't be saved? How are there people who would leave here and you'd still be relying on something that you could do to get into heaven? How is that possible if he looks until he finds the lost? Because there are people here tonight and you're not lost. You're not lost. And I can't convince you that you're lost. No matter how many scriptures I would read, you'd say you go through life and never even know that you're lost. And Christ says, I came. I came into the world to seek and to save the lost. And if that's not enough, He said, I came into the world. For this reason was I born. He says in John chapter 18, He says, I came into the world. He goes, and I was born for this reason, to tell people the truth. Tell me. And I just ask you honestly, of all the churches you've been to, and of all the times you've had someone get up with a religious title, How many people have told you that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners? Because that's what the Bible says. Lord Jesus Christ says finally in John chapter 15, He says, if I had not come. He doesn't say that a lot. He always tells people why He came. But He says, if I had not come, He said, they never would have been guilty. They never would have been guilty. You say, "That's that's a terrible way to put it. Why, 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 who, who wants to be guilty as a, as, as a, as a, as a result of, of meeting Jesus Christ? Who wants to be guilty as a result of meeting Jesus Christ? And you'd say, 
people who want to be saved. He only came for the guilty. Healthy people have no need for a doctor. Only sick people do. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, I came to heal the sick. The righteous have no need for a physician. I know this goes against the next ten churches on the block. I know this goes against everything that seemingly everyone has been brought up with. If you want to argue the Bible, you can do that. But if the Bible says that He came, if if saving myself, if if this were just a self-help, if all you needed was counseling, sometimes I need a kick in the pants to get out of bed in the morning. If that's all I needed, I would get a life coach. I could find one in Franken Lakes, I'm sure. You say, if all I needed was just a it was just a secure 401k I would go to my accountant if all I needed was better planning for my vacation I could find these individuals I could find shrinks I could find life coaches I could find helps but tell me who clears the the sin from the soul who takes care of that Sometimes I think of life like the giant whiteboard. And we've had a couple of them in our Sunday school. And inevitably, some kid takes a permanent marker and writes their name 15 times over your whiteboard with a permanent marker. And you say, it's garbage. It's junk after that. Toss it. My life was nothing more than a whiteboard that was completely engulfed in magic marker. And nothing more should have been done than toss. Because no one can remove the permanent marker from the soul except for one man. The man who came to save my soul. And Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You say, it's a word that never sounded so sweet. And Paul says this, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And then he adds this unique phrase. He says, of whom I am foremost. Or of whom I am chief. Recognize he doesn't say I used to be the chief. He doesn't say, I used to be the chief. I don't know who takes the crown these days. No, Paul says, he says, I'm still, I'm still number one when it comes to sinners. I don't deserve salvation. Matt will get up here to tell you the same thing. So will Andrew, Jason. So will anybody in this meeting who knows for sure they're going to heaven. You'd say, deserve it? No, I deserve it less today than I did yesterday. And I deserve it less today than I did ten years ago. In fact, after being in heaven for a million years, I will deserve it even less. But salvation's not about deserving. Because it tells me this, that He came to save me for who I am. If you're anything like me, if you're anything like who I am, you'd say, given the chance... After you go through life and and, and all victories of life and all the achievements are stacked up, you say you can't help but look back on life and just say some of us would yearn for a second chance, a second shot at it, for all the regrets and all the wrongs and all the things that you say you just can't get past. You'd say I'd love to have a second chance. This is a message for you. Some people are fine in their own righteousness, but some people crave to know that there was a man who came into the world to save the destitute, to save the lost, to save the sinner. And Paul says, I am chief. I have another friend. And he says this. He says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And this is what he says. He goes, it was me. My whole life. Uh, I'm going to be 34 in about a month. My whole life. You want to know where the greatest things that I don't had, never had to be taught was to say these words. It wasn't me wasn't me. If you're a parent, you must have heard that ten times today. It wasn't me. Broke my mom's, my, my mom's, I remember the lamp, it had two pieces. I remember it toppled over in the living room. It was Andrew. It wasn't me. I remember at work, 
uh, you know, the first time, uh, you know, I, I, I rear end the front end of my truck. It wasn't me. Should have seen the dump truck in front of me. I can even remember as an adult these days, you know, when, when you end up saying something or you end up doing something and, and people call you out on it, you say it wasn't me. You know, Paul breaks that lifelong trend of people saying to you, you know what, you're not so good. I would never say that to anyone here tonight. This is not my tact. But God says to people, you know, you're, you're guilty, you're a sinner. And every once in a while, people respond with the words of Paul and they say, yeah, it was me. You're talking to me. Christ Jesus came into the world to save me. If you could find your spot in that me, there'd be two in that me. There'd be two people going to heaven. There'd be two people with their sins forgiven, with peace with God. This is, this is a real solution for a real problem. I don't ask you to light a candle tonight. I don't ask you about your baptism certificate. I don't ask you in which cemetery you'll be buried. I don't ask you who will officiate there. I don't ask you for anything other than the fact that is written here and whether or not you could believe that and that alone. That this is a faithful saying worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Sinners. If it said David Zudema, there's three other David Zudemas. If it said if it said Matt Heber. I'm sure I'll search Facebook tonight and find four others. It says something that is so indescribably true about me that I don't have to wonder who he's talking about. He came to save sinners. It's a word, you say, it's like one of those words that it almost got converted. It almost, my whole life, it sounded so terrible. It sounded like the word nap. If, if you told me, or if you told your kids today, you had to take a nap. It's like a curse word. You'd say they'd hate you for it. If you told them, you know, it's time to put the toys away, get into bed before 5 o'clock, you'd say, what a nasty thing to say. If you told me I could take a nap these days, I'd hug you. Right? No, no word could be more joyous. No word could sound better. You say, what happened? What happened? Did I, did I just gain wisdom in life? Did, did, did someone point me on the, on the better path? Did I, did I just become... What happened? You know what happened? A need. A need. All of a sudden I found out I needed rest. Sinner sounds awful because sinners go to a place called hell. But you say, sinner sounds wonderful. It sounds indescribably wonderful. Because Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. I ask you, and I would invite you to come up to me at the end of the meeting. Believe me, I, I, I would not be austere with you. I would not put you off. Tell me if you could ad-lib another word that should go in the place of sinner. Christ Jesus came into the world to save you fill in the blank. Give me a better word than that. Give me a better word than that six-letter word. Give me something better to put there. Because as far as I see it, that encompasses everybody in this tent. Anybody in Wyckoff, anybody in New Jersey, anybody in the U.S., anybody in this world, anybody in heaven, anybody in hell, could enter this tent tonight, and I could say to them, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. It excludes no one. And by God, it would not exclude you tonight if you could just rest in that one single truth. We all need a bunch of Bible verses to live by. You might need a psalm every day. And you might need a calendar with a scripture on it to make it through 365 days. You want to know what? 
You could rest in one verse. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. You could rest in one man, Christ Jesus. He does the saving. He saves sinners. And He still saves sinners. And so I would ask you tonight, those 25 words, take it or leave it. Because if you took it, He would take you. Because He turns no one away who comes to Him. And I leave you with just those words. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Good to see all those that are out tonight. I'd like to read just a couple portions of Scripture. And the first one is in 1 Corinthians. Please. 1 Corinthians. And chapter 1. First Corinthians in chapter one and verse twenty three. Just five words here. But we preach Christ crucified. But we preach Christ crucified. Now let's move forward just a little bit into the book of Hebrews and in chapter four. It's interesting how this ties with what Dave was speaking about, about truth and the Word of God speaking to you and I. Let's look at Hebrews in chapter 4 and verse 12. For the Word of God is quick. That means living and operative and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner or an understander of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now the next reading is in the book of Luke, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Luke chapter 19. Luke in chapter 19 and verse 10. For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. That which was lost. Last reading in Romans chapter 1. Romans in chapter 1. Romans in chapter 1 and verse 16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I'll read it one more time. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. Now, when we speak in the gospel, we are speaking about one person, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we read in 1 Corinthians, but we preach Christ 
crucified. It's not a message to get analytical. It's not a message to negotiate. It's not a message to even bring in sarcasm, perhaps, or ask you a question, ask me a question. No, we preach Christ. We tell a truth found from the Word of God. It's an absolute truth. When there's truth, there's really no uh, other way to look at it except to accept that it is truth. You can't really argue it. Here Paul is saying, we preach Christ. Not a message about hell. Now hell is in the Word of God. Hell is a place where individuals go that reject Christ. It's not a message about heaven. Heaven is a place where believers go uh, because of the work of Christ. It's not because of any work of their own. It's not really a message about sin. Sin is the problem that you and I have. We are born in sin. The Bible says, Wherefore us by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, so that death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. But the message of the gospel, the good news, is all about Christ. What God provided through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. God sent Christ to die for sinners. And He went there as a lamb led to the slaughter, as a sheep before shears is dumb, He opened not His mouth. And the beautiful thing about the gospel, the reason why individuals, after they're saved, after they've trusted Christ, some have, as it were, heard the call, and they've gone into the world to preach the gospel. It's for this one fact, that they've fallen in love with the Lord Jesus Christ, because He first loved them. And I love those words found in the book of Romans, that God commendeth, or God demonstrated His love toward us, and that while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. So the message, everything, we could take a a perspective or some angle from Genesis, we could take Exodus, we could take Isaiah 53, we could take Revelation, we could take Luke, we could take John, we could take any part of this book, the Word of God, and everything, regardless of what angle we would take, it would crescendo and be all focused, little by little as it comes, and we'd end up at Christ. It's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul says, we preach Christ crucified. You say, well, Matt, what does that mean that Christ was crucified? The Lord Jesus Christ, friend, hung between heaven and earth. And He died a violent death. And He died with nail prints in His hands and nail prints in His feet. They stuck nails through His hands and through His feet. He died and He shed blood. He bore the spittle of man. His back was open like a plowed field. His face unrecognizable as a man. You say, Matt, why do you tell me that? Because, friend, listen, He did it for you, Andrew. He did it for David. He did it for James. I go right around the room. And the day that an individual takes that solemn, beautiful truth that, yes, Jesus died for me, he's saved and on his way to heaven. We preach Christ crucified. The message from Monday or Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, if you come back Wednesday, I'd love to have you come back. But every single message will be about one person, and that's Jesus Christ. He loved me enough to hang upon a cross. And He died. And He gave His life. And He was risen. And He rose again. And the Bible says, you say, well, where is Christ? The Bible says these words, Wherefore God hath highly exalted Him and given Him a name that's above every name. And that name of the Lord Jesus Christ, friend, might not be a curse word when you leave these rooms. It could be the name that comes across your lips and you say, That man Christ is my Savior. It's a name that's exalted and given a higher place in my life. And He's Lord of my life. That's why I call Him Lord Jesus Christ. Because He's Lord of my life. You know, there are individuals that are trying to, to seek in life. 
They're searching perhaps through money, or they're searching perhaps through a career, just looking for the next advancement, perhaps from a sales analyst to a sales director to the sales VP to the sales president to the EVP to the CEO, and they're, and they're looking for more and more and more. And the Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he loses his soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Mark 8, 36 and 37. You can look it up, friend. It's found right here in Scripture. The Bible says, I want you to give me your life. And the man and the woman or the boy or the girl that surrenders at the foot of the cross, as it were, at Calvary, they see Christ. They rest in that finished work. Take the world. You give me Jesus. You can't buy my salvation. And if I ask anyone around this room, uh, what would it take to surrender your story of salvation. The day that you trusted Christ. There's not a believer here, and I speak for every believer here. I speak for believers across the world. There's not a believer that would ever allow money to pay for their salvation. Why? They have a home in heaven. That's why. That's tremendous. You know, I was uh, touched. I was listening to uh, br- Brother uh, Michael, who's visiting here today. Um, he's the president of PGM's Pacific Garden Mission Son. And I was asking him, uh, what was it that spoke to you the night that you got saved? You got saved in January, just this year, I believe, or last year. But what was it that spoke to you the night you got saved? He said, you know what? Uh, I, I, I lived in a dark life. Am I speaking to someone here today? And you say, you know what? My sin is absolutely dark. That was his life. I, 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 I resonate with this man because that was my life. And he said, but I watched my parents who were believers. And through all the wickedness that I did... And through everything that happened in my life, I watched them turn. I watched them pray for me. And he said, they continued to love me. And they prayed to their God. And they had a hope that I didn't have. And I could take you to a small little town in Maine. And I could take you right to the house. I'd walk you through the doors. There are doors that we never locked back then because there was no crime in our little town. It's sad that that town today, you have to lock all the doors. There's alarm systems on the home. That's what sin's done. And I could take you to a hardwood floor. And I, could t- and, and, and I could take and paint that picture right around that room. And I could take you at 2 o'clock in the morning and to this man here, and he's stumbling in in his drunken stupor. And there's a, a little fragile woman. And she's on her knees. And there's a puddle of tears on that hardwood. And that's my mother. And she prayed for me. And, and I watched that beautiful testimony of the grace of God. And it spoke to me. Believer, if I can tell you this, sometimes the only Bible that someone will read is your life. And I watched that dear woman, and on August 19, 2001, at 22 years old, I realized one thing, that they have something that I don't. And maybe you're in the meeting tonight, and maybe you have a friend who's a believer, a born-again Christian, Christian, he's converted, he's born from above, and he has this life where he tells you, or she tells you, I was saved. And you watch them go through the challenges of life. And you watch them get hit by roller coasters of life and the seasonal waves and everything that keeps hitting on them. And they remain focused. And they're a strong testimony. They have something, friend, that you don't have. They know Christ. And he's the, he's the captain of their ship, friend. Listen, as you go through life, you need a captain of your ship. You need someone to steer you through the waves of life. You need someone to hold you up. And Christ has promised that he's a friend above all friends. And he can be yours tonight. You know, the military was asked a question 
there's a captain of the military. He was asked this question of one of the new fighter jets, and I forget which one it was. It was the Stealth or the F-18 or whatever else they have in that sky that blows my mind, the technology we have today. But they said, what makes that ship so effective? You would say, well, it's technology. It's the engineers that designed that ship. It's the computer systems that are all in there and all the money that backs it up and the billions of dollars that we're throwing into the military. You know what he said? It's the captain. It's the man who sits in that cockpit and he tells that plane what to do. That's what makes that plane so effective. That's why that plane can go in any situation and come out unharmed. It's because of the captain of that particular plane. Or the pilot. Maybe I'll use that word for the planes. Who's the pilot of your life? Who is guiding you through life? You know, I ask people that question and they say, you know what? Well, I trust my parents. Or, or I trust my particular career. It's, it's strong, Matt. And if I could just retire, if I could just make enough and I'd retire, I'd trust that God that you talk about. I could take you to another place in Levine, Arizona. And I could take you to a little supermarket, Fry's Grocery Store. And I could take you uh, to where there once stood a man named George. And he was 62. And my mother asked George, she said, George, would you just come out to the gospel meetings this one time? There were two weeks of gospel meetings, in our, just like this, in our particular town there in Arizona, where I was living for just a few years of my life. And George said, Jovette, that's her name, Jovette, he said this, if I can just retire, I'll get that matter settled, that thing you talk about. That reason why you're so peaceable through work. She's known. She's a testimony. My mother doesn't even lift her voice. She's just different. Life comes out of her. And George said that on a Thursday night. And on Friday morning, my mother walked into work. And George had gone into eternity. He rested his pillow, uh, his head on his pillow, trusting in his retirement. Trusting in the God of this world. And he died outside of Christ. You know what the solemn thing is this? Is all God wanted to do was save his soul. That's it. God wanted a relationship with George. And George's relationship was his money and his toys and his tools and his big home in Mexico and everything else that he could have. And the Bible says, what does it profit a man if he gains all of that and he loses his soul, friends? What would it profit you if you had everything? And you died outside of Christ. And you perished where there is no footing, no standing, a place where that's created for the devil and his angels, what would it profit you? Because I've been to many funerals, and the old adage is this, and it's so true. I, I left a father-in-law who was 54, and he died at a, at a gymnasium. Born-again Christian, a man of God, one man that I, I will never even stand up to as far as my testimony. He was an amazing man. And he had all the toys, and he had the big homes, and he had the estates, and what he didn't know was the day he set foot on a cycle machine, he passed from time into eternity, and he never even dripped, dripped a, a, a beard of sweat. He fell on the ground, he died, and he woke up in heaven. And I showed up to that funeral home, I drove his 7 Series there. And I remember thinking, Alan, you can't take it with you. It's all gone. It's over, you don't take it. You didn't even have time to enjoy it. What would it profit you, friend, if you gained everything, and you lost your soul? What would it profit where the message of salvation, the, the free gift that's being offered is Jesus died for me. Your sins paid for. The power of sin overcome. And you can have a new life. Sins washed as far as the east is from the west. Hebrews 10 tells us their sins and iniquities. I will remember. He's a promise. I will remember no more. That's the beauty of this particular gospel message. 
I was going to tell you, um, let's just jump into this. Notice in Hebrews in chapter 4, uh, here is the Word of God. We read it together. For the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. You know what I like about this? The Word of God doesn't come out and hit. You know, I've heard people say this. Uh, well, we preach the Word of God and just hit. You know what it does? No, it doesn't do it. It slices. It slices someone so it opens them for inspection. That's what the thought is of that word. It's living. It's operative. It comes in and it reveals truths. Yes, friend, when we speak in the gospel, you might hear a term like heaven. That's not the gospel of Jesus Christ, but that's a real place in Scripture. That's where believers go. That is the truth. That's not a, an opinion of Matt or Dave or some particular organization. That's a truth found in Scripture. That there's a place that He has created for believers. That's heaven. There is a place called hell. That's a truth. There is a truth that you and I have sinned. We've fallen short of the glory of God. We don't even meet His standard. I can take you to Harrison, who's my... Uh, I'd say he's the apple of my eye. Uh, but I have, I have three kids. But um, <laughs> he's Harrison's Harrison. I love Harrison. And uh, he was our firstborn. And... At five years old, uh, it was around five, uh, and he, had, he, was, he was born, Harrison was born, if you haven't known him, he was born with spiky blonde hair, like literally, he was born with hair, and three days later we took him to church, and my wife actually spiked his hair, he just had his hair, and so at five years old we kept his hair sort of spiky, and he wanted to go up the slide at our gym at Lifetime Fitness, and uh, I said, you know what Harrison, like, you have to be 48 inches tall, but uh, I think we can let you slide, like, no pun, right, so we can let, let you go down, so he walked all up the stairs, there were four flights, and I thought for sure, back then, I was working corporate, and I used to pay for my wife to get personal trained. I thought, well, you know, these guys know me, right? Like, I spent money at this gym. We've been here 12 years. It doesn't matter if he's off by an inch or so. Like, he's going down the slide. I guarantee it. So I went up. I saw the guy. I knew the guy. And uh, I said, Harrison, just sit right here. There's a huge line. He had waited like 20 minutes. And the guy says, hold on, sir. Come measure yourself. you will be 48 inches. And Harrison walked up with his little sandals and uh, he walked there and he was just barely touching it, right? The guy said, take your sandals off. So like Harrison comes and he's, you know, he's here. And he missed it. He missed it by a centimeter. Like if I was working, he was going down regardless of who his parents were because he was there. But the guy said, you know what? It has to be here. And you have to be 48 inches, not 47 inches. And that little man broke my son's heart. Right? And my son had to go down the stairs, and his heart was shattered. <laughs> but there was truth there. He fell short. It didn't matter who I was. Friend, listen, if I'm speaking to a younger child today, it doesn't matter if your parents are going to heaven. It doesn't matter if your friends are going to heaven. If you're outside of Christ, you're not. That's the truth. Because we've fallen short of the glory of God. And that's why when we hear the gospel, that's a truth, friend, that you can hold secure as your own. Jesus died for me. I was going to read the verse found in Romans, and there's five words there. Christ died for the ungodly. Is there someone who's ungodly here tonight? Because he died for you. The message of the gospel is for sinners. You know, we, we hear so many different things that come across the technology that we have today. On our phones, on our computers, on our tablets, on our iPads, all these different things. And we hear political individuals and men in leadership and women in leadership. And they say things and we hold on to them as their truth. And then they fail. And we wonder, what happened? I thought he was going to do this. I'm not naming names. I, I don't know. I'm political. I care less. But God reigns over that. I thought she was going to do this. And we hold on to men's words. And yet men are filled with weakness. And men are filled with sin. And of course they're going to fail us. Unintentionally perhaps. They didn't mean to. They didn't know the resources. And they failed us. But God will never fail. And God's word says, Christ through the word of God. That's why I read these words. Christ 
died for the ungodly. I quoted it, but listen to verse 13 of Hebrews in chapter 4. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And I wonder and I ask the question, have you ever realized that you are opened unto the eyes of him that we have to do with? In other words, the one that you're accountable to, friend, is not me. Uh, it's not a church. It's not a priest. No, no. It's the God of heaven. And he has said that your life, your heart, that the Bible says is desperately wicked, who can know it? All of that is opened and revealed. All the sin, all the darkness, you see, all the lustful thoughts, all the perverse thoughts, all the lying, all the deleted web browsers, whatever you're into, that's all revealed. And God knows. And the solemn thought, and I'm being careful, there are youngest, but the solemn thought is this. The soul that sins, it dies. And the soul that sins outside of Christ does land in hell beneath. You know what the Bible says? That they're resurrected from hell. And they stand before the great white throne. And the one that is at that throne could have been their savior. Now he's their judge. And the sin is revealed. And the question is asked, is their name written in the Lamb's book of life? And it's not. And they're cast into the lake of fire. Imagine having your sin absolutely revealed. If you, if you said to me for one second, you said, Matt, uh, one day of your life, you're doing gospel meetings, we want to see what kind of guy you are. We want to see how good you are. One day of your life is going to be re- revealed on this board. And everything you've thought about, everything you've said, everything that came across your lips, everything you touched, whatever, it's going to be all plastered here. I would not show up and I'd be gone. I'd fly back to Chicago. It'd be absolutely embarrassing. Because our minds are wicked. And the Bible says, God knows every intent of the heart. Everything that we hide behind our walls of pride, God knows it. And although God knows everything, listen, if I knew everything, I knew everything about Andrew, I would not send my son to die for Andrew. Because he's filthy. If I knew everything about him, I don't. That's why I like him. He's a good guy to me. But if I knew him, right, the way God knows him, God knows everything about every individual for over thousands of years. And God says, you know what? There's nothing else that can satisfy the payment for sin. I'll send everything that I have. And the floodgates of God's mercy open at heaven and Christ comes. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And Christ died for the ungodly. Is there someone here that's ungodly? But now let's look. That's the word of God. Let's look at the work. I'm flying through, and I just take this up tomorrow night, and that's okay. But notice uh, the story of Zacchaeus. For the Son of Man, Luke 19 and verse 10. The Son of Man is come to seek and to save them that are lost. Lost. That's the work. That's the work of the cross. He's seeking. He's trying to save them that are lost. We're all like sheep that have been scattered. That's what Isaiah 53 says. We've gone our own way. And the way that man thinks is right only leads to death. That's what the Word of God teaches. And Christ has come to seek and to save them that are lost. That's the work of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's absolutely tremendous. God planned salvation before an angel's wing ever cleft eternity. Forethought of. Tremendous. You know, we get, our, our minds get blown. This is how I, my little mind gets blown with this. I was watching on Yahoo. Um, now, not everything Google says is right. I, I researched it. It was in NASA. But there's a 20-year-old camera. Track with this. 20 years old. 20-year-old technology. It went up into the space that you and I think we understand. And it caught a tornado. Now, track with these words. 840 million miles away and it took a picture of a tornado 
and all the experts said it. They identified this, and I thought, wow! Like, that's 20 years old of, of a work, like a, of a technology that's absolutely fascinating. It blows your mind. I guarantee you, if I walk right through this room, I don't know every part, but I guarantee you, I, I don't know many people, that, I don't know everyone, but the individuals that I know in my personal life, Chicago, Mexico, everywhere else, I can't describe how that works. How a camera takes a picture that far away and accurately tells it that there's a tornado. There's technology involved there. Forget that work. That work is, is just a hill of beans. It's nothing compared to the work of God. Nothing. It's nothing compared to the plan of salvation. It's nothing, friend. For God to be manifest in flesh as Christ, and Christ comes into the world and he hangs around with sinners, he eats with sinners, he walks with sinners, he heals sinners, he heals them blind, with, he heals their, 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 those that are deaf, he takes one that's been dead and he raises them uh, back to life, that's Lazarus, and then he gives his life on a cross. Something so unheard of. That's why if we would have backed up in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18, we'd read these words. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But to us who are saved, it's the power of God. There are people that hear the preaching of the cross. And they wonder, how would God send a son to, to walk this earth, to walk through Jerusalem on a coal, not on a chariot, to go to a cross? How in the world did that ever happen? That sounds foolish. It was God's plan. And it was a work, friend, that words can't describe. It's a work that saved my life. That's why Paul says, thanks be unto God for his unspeakable gift. And that gift tonight, friend, can be yours. It's a gift of absolute worth. So much worth. Paul says, I can't describe that gift. You know, uh, I go to a... I, I, I went. I'm not going to be there much longer, but uh, I was going to a gym in Burridge, Illinois, and uh, that's a place, perhaps like Wyckoff, where there's nice cars. And I park my little car, uh, which I think is nice. Uh, it has 520 horsepower. It's got, it's got quite a bit of speed in it, right? 190 miles an hour. So I park that little thing, what I think is cool, in the corner lot, okay? So no one scratches my car. Uh, the unfortunate thing is there, every time I park it, it's loud, it sounds like a NASCAR. When I park it, there's a red cardinal that lands on the top of my car and pecks my car. On top of my, and it just pecks. It drives me crazy. So I have to wait till it leaves, I knock, it flies off, then I go in the gym. A few weeks ago, I parked this car, and I thought I was the cool guy. Like, the sun was shining, my car was black, you could see yourself on it, I rolled in, like, that was loud, and I thought, ah, man, it's nice to have a fun car. And I park. There's a guy that parks right in the middle of the parking lot. He could care less if someone scratches his car. He's driving a black Lambo. I googled the car. It was a seven hundred thousand dollar car. On the license plate said this. I wrote this down. Here, hold on. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, jaw dropper. <laughs> and it dropped my jaw. He he parked it. I heard him coming a mile away. Brrr, it has a different sound than my car. And I thought, wow, you know. And I so I walked by. I was like, nice car. He's like, yeah, pff, it was a gift. <laughs> what? A gift? You know what trumps that little petty gift? The gift of salvation. It trumps it. Friend, listen, take the Lamborghini and burn it. It wouldn't matter. God offers a gift of eternal life. He will transform your life through life. And he'll promise a home in heaven. That's the gift. $700,000. That's a joke. Right? God wants to give you life. New life. Your life will radically change. I went from a man dead in sins and dark and absolutely every single day miserable and waking up and there's sin and there's burdens and there's... No care in the world. Christ died for my sins. It's over. And he has transformed my life. He can transform yours tonight. Christ died for the ungodly.